0: If you're someone who's been waking up, healing and becoming more of the authentic person that you came here to be, then I imagine you know that it can get super scarily lonely at times. When old relationships are still stuck in those destructive limiting patterns, it can feel like being your true self means you're going to live a lone wolf life and die alone as a mountain cave hermit. Even in a crowded room of people you maybe want to connect with. The conversations just leave that bad taste in your mouth and the desire to get out of there leaves you with that anxious feeling rolling in your stomach. Fortunately, this is normal and there is hope. If you are yearning for deeper, more authentic connections, genuine fulfillment in relationships and effective communication that leaves you able to relax to the depths of your being, but you're finding it hard to find the people who align with your vibe, then this episode is for you. Featuring return guest Dr. Nicole Lapera, The Holistic Psychologist, we dive deep into how to have more fulfilling relationships and how to be the love you seek. Nicole is a best-selling author of How to Do the Work, How to Meet Yourself, and now How to Be the Love You Seek. She's the heart behind the Instagram page The Holistic Psychologist, which has I think around 6 million followers at this point. She's also the creator of the Self-Healers Circle community. Through her platforms and books, she supports millions of people around the world in healing themselves so they can return to the love and worthiness which are all of our birthrights. We chat about relationships in today's episode, inspired by Nicole's new book, How to Be the Love You Seek. So listen on to learn how you can find more of the intimacy, depth and authenticity you dream of from your romantic and personal relationships. In this episode, you'll discover why being authentic is crucial for true connection and fulfillment, understand the importance of expanding your support circles, find out how to communicate effectively in relationships by considering the emotional state of all parties involved. We'll explore the concept of interdependence and how it can lead to more fulfilling connections with others, and of course, so much more. When you hear the words, we are already free, what comes up for you? Acceptance. Change.
1: The shift in awareness human beings are so powerful
0: there's so much more
1: everything is love behind it breaking the chains of your own minds that which remains nature getting out of the matrix we're sitting on the treasure and it's already unlocked we are already free you're free you are a walking man have always been free you are always free
0: already free we are already free I don't want to take any more time in the intro here, I want us to get straight into the chat with Nicole, but if you are a fan of this podcast, listen to the end to hear me wax lyrical and emotional about how cool it is that this is episode 50 of the podcast. I'll share some of the challenges, the moments where I've nearly given up, and what it is that has carried me through to this point and will carry us all onwards together. And now, a brief word from our sponsor, me. Are you tired of starting your days, hitting the snooze button too many times, then eventually groggily reaching over to your phone and getting lost in mindless scrolling? Break free and reclaim your mornings with my 5-day morning practice challenge. Transform your life, kickstart positivity and leave the doom scrolling behind. Join now at alreadyfree.me slash yes and take the first step towards a more beautiful life. And now, please enjoy this episode of the We Are Already Free podcast. So this is the, the final of your trilogy, which is, it's so cool to like, I mean, it amazes me because it's like you planned the whole thing out, and maybe you did plan the whole thing out before you even started, but it just all fits together so well. And I kind of want to dive in with maybe a, well, it feels like a relevant question to me because I'm very curious about it and it came up when I was looking at the title and just thinking about what this book, How to Be the Love You Seek, is about. And this is that you yourself are in what is considered by society standards a very unconventional relationship. And I saw a quote of yours somewhere, and I hope they quoted you correctly, but it, it said, filled with joy, filled with tears, filled with laughs, filled with so much humbling learning about myself and what it is to be in an authentic relationship. So this was in relation to you being in life partnership with two other women and I am just like so curious to know how that has colored this book and like what you needed to learn or how how they're intertwined basically the book and your relationships if you're okay to share that
1: 100% and actually even going back to the question somewhat of whether or not this trilogy was planned and I could say that it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't an intentional thought oh these are the three books that i want to kind of roll out in this sequence though it was to the extent that i think it's a very natural progression of a healing journey the first book you know how to do the work is really about um, observing our conditioning seeing all the ways that we're not being this authentic self kind of wrap it into this question that you're now asking me and then of course the workbook in between was the really practical manual because i know for myself and i was like oh okay i know this concept of authentic self, you know, how do I get there? And there's a lot that involves the body and the nervous system and regulation. So I thought it would be really helpful then to roll out a workbook to really guide readers through that. And then I think the next natural place as we're healing, that we either continue to struggle or want to see changes is within our relationships. And so again, going back to this idea of Mm. being authentically who we are, connect it, as you'll read in the pages of How to Be the Love You Seek, to our heart space. I believe that is the, if we were to say, the physiological house of our authentic self and how to begin to express that in relationships. So then now to speak to the evolution in my own individual journey and, of course, mapping that onto my relationship journey, as I got really clear and committed and created space more, I should say that first, because I wasn't clear on what my perspectives were, what my emotions were. I'd lived so much of my time disconnected out of protection from my early childhood, not having the emotional attunement that I needed, that it really was a process of creating space for myself in whatever relationship that I was in. And I was in a committed relationship with a romantic partner throughout, coming to the awareness that there was a lot of dysfunctional patterns, a lot of ways that I wasn't honoring My wants, my needs, my perspectives, and my emotions. So, as I and my partner at the time, I'm very grateful. She too was on a similar healing journey, very much committed to authenticity in her own individual life. And of course, in our relationship together. So, walking side by side, exploring our deeper selves in the context of our relationship, creating the safety and the security to begin to do that really allowed us to. As we, somewhere along the way, met now who was our third partner named Jenna, who started to actually build the business with us, the Self-Healer Circle, seeing that we needed help right from the, the jump of so many people of interest coming in, so many members, and not having necessarily the team to support it. She living her own healing journey very much in alignment with the type of work that we were doing and wanting to teach it and you know facilitate a community-type atmosphere. It was really you know intuitive thought to be like, of course, you're going to join us. And then several years in to us working very closely together, by that time we had relocated, we were now living in physical proximity together. And I think the three of us started to have, you know, wonderings and questions and attractions and desires to explore beyond what was the committed, more monogamous partnership. And just speaking from my own experience, I had never been or considered being in any sort of open type, poly type relationship. So for me, it was, you know, a new shift, but it was to speak to the point of authenticity. It was one that I was really committed to wanting to create the opportunity to explore. And once I had heard from my partner, the initial primary partner, Lolly, though, I don't think of it in terms of primary, primary just being the Mm. first, she Mm. too was having similar desires as well. And I wanted to gift her with the possibility for her also to explore that space. So after conversations and a little bit of Googling to discover, well, do people (laughs) even do this? What is this? You know, and I think naturally we were feeling a little alone and like, well, is this normal, so to speak? And not having much guidance or many models at that time, uh, we still were committed again, all three of us to our hearts, to what our heart was saying. And of course, I I kind of mapped that onto a lot of the topics in how to be the love you seek by no case or by any means. It's not a Book about expanding your relationships, but my hope is that it's a book for all of us about reconnecting with whatever the truth is in our heart and creating the safety and the security to be or to express that truth in whatever relationship that it is. And so now to speak to that quote, I mean, yes, it it, with an expanded relationship, there's two now separate individuals, two separate dynamics, both adaptive and dysfunctional that we're bringing in and recreating, and you know, with it on the other side, a, a lot of moments of joy. A lot of moments of really deep love, deep connection that can be very unique to having three people in interaction in any given time or any relationship and also the uniqueness that I have with each of them as individuals. Mm. Yeah, it
0: feels so intertwined around, like it must require, and I'm saying this from the outside of not having been involved in anything other than really monogamous, like 99% with little forays here and there of (laughs) dipping toes and then being like, actually, it's quite nice out of the water. But I I really like projecting into it. I think, wow, it must take a a real honesty, a real depth of willingness to go to the most uncomfortable, most vulnerable, most terrifying places of, am I enough? Does this mean that I'm now not enough? Does this mean that there's something wrong? Or why can't I fulfill everything? Or All those kind of stories that then go, well, why do I have that story in the first place? And I imagine that's something you speak to in the book.
1: I really appreciate you kind of pulling this to light because I do think a lot of us have stories, expectations, whatever you want to call it, that one relationship, just talking about primary partnership, right? We kind of define what we think that entails. And then we look to, even those of us that will continue to choose to be in a monogamous relationship, we look to that one person to check all of the boxes that we imagine you know, are contained in romantic mm-hmm. relationships. And just as much as we do it with friendships, right? this is what a friend is. So now I look at all of the unique individuals that I might decide to be a friend to or with and I expect all of them to play the same role, to do the same things. And what I've begun to really understand in myself and I think quite globally us as a society is that when we do that, I think we really do limit the individuality and the diversity and the possibility, as I talk about in the new book, for true interdependence, which is really honoring the uniqueness of every individual. And yes, you might continue to be romantically committed in a monogamous way to one individual, though my hope and the concept I talk about is an expanded relationship. Of course, mine includes a romantic, a physical component. Though for those that don't choose that, my hope is that even those of us that have that one committed romantic partnership, we stop putting an expectation that is, in my opinion, unrealistic on one person. And we can expand, you know, our, our support circles, our friendships, our community to help us to meet other needs that either the individual that we're committed to, you know, can't or can't in this moment. Because we all have a capacity that we reach. And I think we really do our relationships a disservice when, for very understandable reasons, right, our partner can't be available to us. They have things going on in their own life, maybe with their own families of origin, maybe at work, right? And they're not able to support us in the way. And then we really limit ourselves from gaining that support and sometimes, you know, project onto that relationship that, oh, well, they're not supportive, what's wrong with them. I need them to be there for me right now because I have this need. And again, to really simplify it, my hope is that as we unlearn a lot of the conditioning that many of us have within our relationships, we can start to kind of expand the possibility that other people you know, can share our interests, can emotionally support us in ways when we need it outside of, again, these very limit, lit, limited defined definitions mm-hmm. that many of us give to relationship in general.
0: Yeah, you're speaking to something for me that's been coming up a lot in the last few years, especially around relationships, in my case, specifically relationships with men. And I've, I have I rejoined a, a powerful men's circle about a year and a, almost a year and a half ago around there. And what I've noticed in it, one of because I didn't exactly know what, what it was going to be like having such a consistent space that's outside of my relationship with my partner, Carly where I get to share things that, that I know are safe, you know, that I can share this stuff and no one else will ever hear this stuff. This is mine to share with these men. And I found that I've actually taken some of the pressure off Kali because of it. And that's been an amazing thing to notice is that I don't, I, I realize I was actually oversharing. And I, and I wonder, I'd love to hear you speak to this actually, because in hindsight, noticing that, I thought that it was important that I actually shared everything. I really did. I was like, that's how to be in a good relationship. As I tell her every worry, every fear, every doubt, every good thing, every bad thing, like across the board. And what I realized is that by doing so, at least in the context of our relationship, and again, I'd love to hear you speak to that. I mean, maybe I imagine there are different ways people could make agreements about that, but that within the context, it was like I was, sh- I was basically flooding her with so much intensity that at times it freaked her the fuck out to put it very directly and as as fair enough and it's it's really created a spaciousness having another space where i can take that for me and for her as well so yeah anything that comes up for you there i'd love to hear
1: i think the the main thing that's coming up is when we want to have a conversation right whatever it is share you know kind of something that's deeply within our heart like you're saying share all of the truth setter within there. When we want to have a difficult conversation about something dynamically happening within the relationship, when we want to repair or, you know, reconnect after a moment of disconnection or conflict, we're leading right from not only the oftentimes very well-intentioned, and I can make a case, important desire, right? To be honest, yeah. to be authentic, to reconnect, to have these conversations, mm. put words to them and share our perspective or our emotions so that someone else right, can know us, can resonate or can be empathetic that, or like attune emotionally to us. While that's often, like for all of those reasons that I just now suggested, is very important and helpful and necessary to be known and attuned to emotionally in our relationships, there's two people involved in the conversation right? And I think so often what I've been learning is, and this would come up a lot too, previously when I did a lot of work with couples in a traditional setting, I did a lot of couples work. I was a couples therapist for some time. And when right, we want to communicate and we can have all the skills in the world to communicate our perspectives, our side of things, our emotions, though communication is really a two-way street. And the more, more important role than saying things in the exact way is what state, what emotional state is the person that I'm communicating to, calm, grounded, open, receptive, can they physiologically, i mean, going talk about, continue to talk about the nervous system in this relationship yeah. book. It's all really built around our physiological capability or incapability of shifting perspective, so, so much like saying that in a very simplified way is if the person I'm trying to communicate to, even if I say it in the most eloquent way, even if I right, kind of unearth this deepest truth that I want them to know, if I'm flooding them, they're overwhelmed for reasons in mm. because of what I'm sharing, for reasons outside of the relationship, because of what happened in their day or what emotional state they're in, they're not going to be able to receive the communication. And then because both of our nervous systems are communicating with each other outside of our awareness, right? Then we kind of start pinging back and forth like dominoes, right? If someone is mm. not grounded in a reactive state for whatever reason, even if we're calm and grounded when we begin the conversation, we're going to, our nervous system is going to feel those signals of stress. And then nice. we're going to become stressed ourselves, right? And then do whatever it is that we do when we habitually become stressed, maybe screaming and yelling that they're not listening to us because maybe they're becoming distracted, trying to regulate the fact that they're feeling th- flooded or overwhelmed. Maybe we're gonna shut down because they feel a little shut down or they feel distant to us or maybe they became reactive because of something we said, right? Touched upon something similar that had happened to them in the past and now they have emotions that completely predate even this conversation, right? And now we're shutting down because they're we're feeling their intensity. So there are, you know, two people in every conversation. I talk a lot about, again, the nervous system, giving a lot of Mm -hmm. tools to be able to understand when we're first and foremost in that calm, grounded state, because a lot of us share our deepest truths in the heat of an argument when we're dysregulated, right? right? When we're screaming something at the top of our lungs that, you know, we just need to get off our chest right now. And that's not (laughs) going to serve the conversation if our nervous Mm -hmm. system is already feeling stressed and threatened. We're not going to be able to communicate it in a way that can possibly be heard. And then furthermore, if they're not in a calm, grounded state or whomever it is that we're communicating to, right? Mm-hmm. if they're becoming flooded, just to return to your example, then they're not going to be able to hear the conversation. So I give mm-hmm. a lot of tools to be able to understand what state our nervous system is in, what state our partners are in, but they to even speak to your point. Things happen in individual lives and having other places, if for whatever reason you're in a period of time or a season where your partner can't be or around a certain topic, right, which does maybe activate your partner to have these other groups like your men's group, like friends, to be able to share the things and get them off our chest is incredibly important.
0: Yeah, I keep thinking about that saying it takes a village to raise a child and then also... I extend that into it feels like it takes a village to be a human in a way like yes. actually <laughs> yeah
1: i couldn't agree more and i think a lot about even just our ancestral our evolutionary roots i mean even to speak to this conversation we mm. did not grow grow or evolve as a species living as separately as we do there were villages around children there were villages around us as individuals gaining the support from others seeing other models of of beingness Gaining support if we do choose to procreate and have children ourselves. We weren't the only caregivers around. So, and I do think that there's been a a shift, you know, at least here in the West, away from even being physically or geographically, I should say, close to family. A lot of us Mm -hmm. are living as transplants in cities where we struggle. I remember the loneliest years of my life were right after I graduated college. I went to college in upstate New York and I knew I wanted to live in a city. And I knew I didn't want to go back necessarily to my home city, which was Philadelphia. So I picked the next closest city, which was New York City. I'm in a city of how many millions of people? Wow. And yeah. I've never felt so alone and struggled so much to make friends that first year, year and a mm. half, almost two years living mm. among people. And I think that really just illustrates how separate so many of us are living and then how unsupported we're living as a result of it. And even going back, like I said, to our roots, we're not wired to live in this separate, siloed, even stressful environment of cities. There's so much, you know, to be said in terms of we're not wired to at least thrive in those in those mm. environments. Yet so many of us, for many different reasons, find ourselves living disconnected in overwhelming, you know, external structures like cities with loud noises and Close people mm. living on top of us and everything that is activating in terms of our nervous system.
0: Mm. I've noticed one of the things, and I think this probably speaks to what you're talking about. And again, always excited to hear what you think. But I've noticed with actually specifically two of my clients, what well, my coaching clients, who actually came to me for different things. One of them specifically came. He was like, "I want to have more intimacy in my life." He's like, "I don't feel I want. I want partnership. I want intimacy." And I was like, "Well, that's a big ask in terms of like, sure, sign up and we'll we'll get you a relationship. No worries." (laughs) But but so so we really, as always, just focused in on him and just got clear on like what was in the way, what was he, what was he, what were the stories he was telling himself, where was he at in 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 kind of his personal narrative, all the rest of it. And a few a few months after we worked together, I think just when we were finishing up. He met someone and they've moved in together a few months ago. So congrats if he's listening right now, he knows who he is. Mm -hmm. And then by the same token, another client who, her her thing was more around just meaning and work that is meaningful and, and finding more meaning in her career and her sort of professional life. And through this work, which is similar work, actually was like, where was she in her story? Where was she in her purpose, her alignment with who she is, her authenticity? So really starting to unpack and uncover that. And lo and behold, she's recently met a partner and at, at that level that she wants to be with someone. And that wasn't even a part of the real conversation we were having within the scope of the work. And and it's given me this thing which you will obviously know way more about, but like it seems to me that as I, as we as individuals align more with their authentic self, there's a certain resonance that starts to move and that we can begin to discover our people, whether that's a romantic relationship or friendships or et cetera. And I yeah, I would just love to hear your, your reflections on that.
1: I'm always so interested and not surprised by whenever I do get asked similarly, right? How do I find the job, my purpose, my passion? You know, that's really for me. How do I find the friend group? Something that I hear very commonly, which is again, another inspiration for this book is I'm lonely. I want authentic relationships. Where do I find my people? Where do I find my friends? And then expanding that like your client, where do I find my romantic relationships? And I think most times the expectation that my response is, is oh, well, here's where you go, here's what you say, right? Here's how you, and it's never, you know, yeah. I think as often I'm, I frustrate people because that's not my response. Yeah. My response is more inward, right? Well, are you mm. connected to, in the sake of the conversation on your work, right? What your purpose and passion are? And I can speak just from my own honest lived experience. I didn't even think I had a purpose and a passion well through my early 30s. I was so stuck in survival mode and all of the nervous system dysregulation that came along with that, that having the space to think about purpose and passion, I truly believed I did not get that genetic chip. I thought, oh, well, some people just have those and I don't. Mm. And I've come to realize that it's because I was living so out of alignment. My body was so, I was overstepping my physical limits. I was not connected to my emotions at all. I didn't feel safe enough. And yes, I had a job. That's needless to say. I had a, you know, what one may call a very successful career after a lot of schooling, a very successful private practice. Yet I did not feel passionate or purposeful because, again, I wasn't living in that alignment. So, similarly, Mm -hmm. right, I started to feel very lonely. I had a lot, I did make friends after that first couple of years (laughs) in New York, and I had a very active social life. I was busy and I tried to keep myself busy, actually, to keep myself separate. From all of the overwhelming emotions that I could not handle on my own. I was always in a relationship. I always had plans, usually six, seven nights a week, right? Always doing something, mm. planning all of my time. So it's not to say that I wasn't around people, though as I got clearer on who I was and began to create space to show up in more alignment, to honor myself and my relationships, I started to feel separate from a lot of even long term relationships, high school friends, you know, that I'd carried yeah. with me and was starting to then desire, much like many of the people that you're working with that I see in the community. I wanted authentic relationships. And I knew that to find those people, to speak to now this resonance piece, the way to them was to continue to live in alignment with who I was, with sharing my perspective and not watering it down or censoring it because I'm afraid of what someone might think of it. I'm afraid of them misinterpreting it. The social media account, actually, The Holistic Psychologist was the first space where I created the possibility for me to begin to share in that authentic way. It also meant sharing my actual emotions and my wants and my needs. And I mean, I it, along the way, I really dove into different science. And of course, I was taught in my schooling. And one yeah. of the most impactful pieces that I've learned is kind of the science of energy, And how at our core, right, this core I think that many of us are looking for is actually an an energy state. As much as, of course, you and I are looking at each other, you know, we see everyone in terms of their physical being, we're also made of energy at our essence. And so living in alignment, you know, in my opinion, means living in that more authentic, that energetic fingerprint, We can kind of call it but some of us mm. might call our spirit, our soul, our essence. I just use that word, right? This idea of what is my vibration? And when I'm regulated in my nervous system, when I'm calm and grounded in my presence, when I'm aligned with what my perspectives are, what my emotions are, what that truth is in my heart that we were talking about earlier, and when I'm expressing that without censorship, without suppressing it, when I'm being that outwardly, because the rest of the environment around us, humans included, are other energies, expressions, we really i could i love the science of it and so this is why i was really fascinated mm. now i could map it onto oh this makes sense right what can feel like woo woo and energy and vibrations and right, right just vibrate to that which you want i, I never landed <laughs> until i understood how that could possibly work and it could work again so as we shed the conditioning as we find our passion our purpose as we be ourself or embrace our authentic self expression and the energy that we're sending out to communicate with the world around us is one that is authentic and unique to us. And then I truly do see scientifically how that creates what could feel like the law of attraction, right? This vibrational mm-hmm. you know, attraction point where, and just to wrap my story complete, as I was more of myself on the Instagram account, I found a beautiful community that was safe, that I could continue to be myself with, that seeing their similar experiences in the comments, them authentically sharing their resonance allowed me to be more authentically who I am. And then that allowed me to have a really difficult conversation about myself professionally, which was that I didn't resonate with doing that kind of one-on-one traditional work that I had once been doing. Now I found a passion and a purpose in what I would kind of label as being more of kind of a teacher. I love to understand information. I love to have conversations in this context or in my membership, South Healer Circle, or in books about information that people can then use on their own journeys. And then as we talked about in the beginning, I found myself toward a more authentic romantic relationship, some really great authentic friendships now, all because right. I didn't do anything outward necessarily. I didn't have the right conversation or go to the right environment. Right. I just focused on being me, right? And mm-hmm. then I found those points of attraction.
0: There's so many gems in here and there's one of the things that I just want to like bring back into the light for a moment is how lonely it can be in the transformational process. And I just really want to honor someone listening right now because I actually feel emotional talking about it because I've spoken to so many people and I've experienced it myself there is a dying that happens in this transformation and that I've got full goosebumps right now Mm -hmm. because that death is literally the valley of the shadow of death when all the friendships start to fade and the old relationship dynamics and the old self that actually felt very comfortable in many ways starts to go and it can be incredibly lonely and incredibly scary and so yeah just honoring anyone who's listening who's at that point right now and of course buy Nicole's books, you'll be fine.
1: <laughs> Nathan, I had chills too, hearing you say that. And there is so much grief. And again, mm. the reality, I have to speak from my own lived experience, I was not equipped <laughs> to deal with mm. the, the grief, the loss, the actual physical pain that comes when we don't feel those connections that we intrinsically need. I cite in my book and it's validated by research that loneliness Being disconnected from the social bonds activates the physical pain center in our brain. Mm. So, for anyone listening, right, it is physically painful, right? And again, we're not, many of us at least aren't equipped to deal with the deep grief and the deep pain that we feel in this kind of version of isolation. It feels, for me, just speaking again from my experience, feels unsafe to be alone in a family that completely lacked boundaries, that was enmeshed or codependent on a very surface level, though I was deeply emotionally alone, right? Mm -hmm. Solitude, silence by myself, even this whole process of inner exploration that we've kind of been indirectly talking about, going inward and exploring Mm -hmm. myself, felt physiologically unsafe. And what I was compelled or instinctually wanted to do is to avoid aloneness, right? To not take the time I need, just to continue engaging in these surface or inauthentic relationships just because they filled my time or offered distraction or they're the familiar way I knew myself to be. And again, this is why I continue to emphasize that healing is so much a function of our body's ability to embrace that separation. For me in childhood, silent separation brought me back to all of the times my mom would give me the silent treatment. When she was not ill-intentioned, She was unable herself to tolerate whatever she was feeling, disappointment, anger, upset around whatever was happening in our relationship or however it was that I was being that was activating those feelings in her. And the only way she could deal with it was to remove herself and stop speaking to me. So in moments of silence and stillness, right, all of that pain and emotional dysregulation comes up. So to embrace everything that we're talking about, again, it's really a function of including our body, of honoring the very real grief, sometimes the physical pain that we're feeling when we're in those moments of loneliness to create the ability in our bodies to tolerate all of the stress that comes along with with the healing journey. And I think, again, just to, to kind of end on this piece, because this is very present for me still to this day, sometimes mm-hmm. the shame and guilt that we feel, if especially if we've been the ones creating either directly or indirectly the separation. There's still relationships that I had thought I would have for a lifetime, that I are no longer active or present in my life because I was the one who began to move myself away into more authentic relationships. And to this day I still think of several of them in feelings of guilt. I feel badly right that I'm not able to be in the relationship with that person as I once was. I feel shameful that I wasn't able. Mm to evolve the relationship or bring it with me. And so I, I think that's another part of it that I just wanted to speak to, especially as we're the ones creating the change. I think some of us can then hang on to that guilt or that shame that we've done somehow done something wrong. And I, like I said, I still have moments where I'm like, oh, I feel bad. I look back. I feel like I was the, the bad person for creating yeah. the separation that I needed.
0: Thank you for speaking to that. I do feel big emotions when I hear you and just honoring that part of myself as well. The the mistakes I have made and the relationships that are currently silent and maybe forever will be, it's just a huge honoring and it's an it, it, and honoring and also just sucks at times. It's just sad. And so to just like be in that, like, fuck, didn't think that one was going to go that way. <laughs> so thank you. I really appreciate that. I want to ask. So you said a moment ago around, like we've kind of, you know, we. I think we've said it pretty clearly throughout, but I'd like to give you an opportunity really to go very to the point. If your book could transform its reader in one way, what what would you hope that it would bring that that person?
1: I would hope that it will empower anyone who picks up the book to begin the journey, because I will never say that it's an overnight <laughs> quick right. fix, but begin the journey to being more safely and securely connected to who they are. While it is a relationship book, and even going back to what we were just talking about, the clearer we are on who we are, the more able we're to remain calm and grounded in our self-expression, in our individual perspectives, in our emotions, in our wants, and our needs, the more likely than we become to be in those interdependent, relationships that aren't where we're sacrificing ourself in any way. And again, this brings up for a lot of us, I think, conditioning, where we've been taught and lived the experience maybe of needing to be selfless, right? A martyr, a caregiver who's only worried about someone else to be worthy of that love and connection and relationship where we've watered ourselves down so completely that we're not in our individual self-expression. So what True interdependence is is the safety and the security. And what I hope the the takeaway from the book is is how to do our side of that to be so uniquely the beautiful being that each of us are, that when we do relate to others, whether it's romantically, platonically in friendships, our family, especially, professionally, mm. right, that our grounded presence, because again, I speak all of the science of how that's even possible in terms of through co-regulation, creating the safety in the space, through concepts like social coherence, being in that alignment state that we were talking about earlier, allowing then others around us to be more likely being in their own energetic or physiological alignment or really simply be themselves. And that is, I mm-hmm. think, the greatest gift that I hope to leave the collective for beyond the time when I'm physically present here in any of my work, really, but in this work in particular, is how do I create? that container of safety and that security within myself, my physical body, my emotional body, so that I can be more of who I am, so that I could quite literally like those dominoes I was referencing earlier, pinging back the stress instead of mm-hmm. those stress signals. Because I, I have really kind of high hopes for what can happen globally if, as we each begin to embrace this alignment, this safety and the security, this individual state of heart-brain coherence that it can energetically begin to shift the whole world around us. Our communities and our world our shared humanity across the globe because we are energetic beings that are sending out those signals. And as we do this and embrace this journey of ourselves, the signals that have once been very stressful, that I think is really indicated or, or uh, emphasize, illustrated, I think is the word I'm looking for, in much of the conflict that we see on such a grand, devastating scale now, yeah. I do have the hope that we can each, as, as helpless as I think as we feel and powerless, as understandably to mm-hmm. feel when we you know don't feel like we can actually do anything, I believe this is the path to doing something so grand. And so healing is living in our alignment, being safe and secure, being ourselves, and giving everyone the gift of the opportunity to do the same.
0: Mm. Yeah, thank you for speaking to that. I I often think of a story. I don't know if you've heard of Immaculee Ilibagiza. if that name oh, rings yeah. a bell for you. Yeah, so she, I forget, I really need to look this up because I tell the story so much, but I haven't gone back to the details. She is from a country in Africa. And she was an unfortunate victim of one of the terrible genocides that happened and she survived because her neighbor, it was basically two try the tr- one tribe kind of took over and, and massacred the other tribe million, like many, many, I think a million people. It was a crazy amount of people. And her neighbor was a priest from the other tribe and he kept her and, and several other women uh, safe in, in a, second bathroom that he had and put a bookshelf in front of it. So hid them in this bathroom for like three months or some, some six weeks, some crazy amount of time. And they had this tiny little space and he could only feed them when no one else was around. And they could only flush the toilet when other people in the house flushed the toilet. And I'm telling you a bit more detail to give a sense to the listener of how extreme this was that she heard her family being and her friends being massacred outside of this, you know, like this most horrific, I can't even imagine what she went through. And she tells the story of how she hated them so much while she was in this bathroom, but she just was filled with hate and it was justified hate. And she hated and she hated and she wished ill on them. And she just, because she had nothing to do, she had nowhere to go. She was just stuck in this bathroom for all this time. And she noticed at some point that the more that she hated, the more pain she felt in her body, the more headaches, the more aches, the more actual pain she felt inside of herself even though she was hating other people even though she was justified in her hate they had done terrible things and she threw she she gives credit to I, I think she's christian or in some way connected with jesus and so to her she gives credit to that like the holy spirit but she made the choice at some point to actually authentically forgive these people like really really And as soon as she did that, as soon as she really let go of that energy of hate and came into a state of forgiveness and love, which is connected to forgiveness, she was healed in herself. And anyway, that story to me just is exactly what you're illustrating, that every one of us has the capacity for that level of forgiveness.
1: Yeah, I have chills. Thank you for sharing, Nathan, that story. It's quite beautiful and I think is really in alignment with kind of the way I think of humanity. And that is to say, it's not to say that people don't do hateful, hurtful things, devastating mm. things to other people. Though I I truly believe at least, and this could be an unpopular opinion, I believe that is the byproduct of their deep wounding pain, some of which has been yeah. passed through generations right, in belief systems and model behaviors epigenetically down to our own physiology, our own genetic expression, and inability to tolerate emotions, and therefore, again, going back to this idea, to see another person as a human, we have to be able to be in a calm, grounded state of our nervous system. Because if we're not, if we're in our own trauma reaction, if we're overwhelmed with stress, that survival mode that I referenced earlier Will remove the humanity. And this is present in even my own life. I'm not just speaking from, you know, you know, Mm. about people who do atrocious things to others. I'm speaking about the small atrocious acts of verbal things that I've said to even those closest to me, my two partners that I don't mean in a moment where I'm so dysregulated. Because we don't see the human when we're in that state of nervous system dysregulation or in that survival mode or in our own trauma reaction, oftentimes again coming from even decades past, not in the current moment, but we don't see this as a person. We lose the humanity. We see them as solely the threat to Mm. our physiological. Again, we're operating in such a physiological state to our physiological survival. And that's why I know, again, just speaking from my own experience, I say mean things. I can do mean things. I can disconnect myself, shut down All of the love and care and support that I want to and compassion that I want to be able to offer those that I'm choosing to spend my life with. Really, any human I would want to offer anyone those things and we all become incapable of it. And I believe that applies to So that beautiful story that you shared, right? We can, of course, hate the act, feel angry, violate it, whatever it is, in grief of what the act has caused. But again, my hope is that through our own healing, we can learn how to separate the actions and the act from the human, the person, the wounding, and sometimes their own deep pain that they can't tolerate themselves that cause them to act in sometimes very inhumane ways. So I truly believe at our core, we all have that capacity to be in connection with love, with compassion, with other people. Again, going back to our ancestors, that's how we survived. We've learned to care about the people in our village enough right, that we were able to join together, whether it's through just division of labor, emotional support, and everything in between. Why? Because we can care. We can see another person and see, and this is why I'm The work you do is such a gift to humanity. You having these conversations, you being so open on this podcast and your coaching and your men's circle, because as we begin to share more of our own stories, I think that is one of the greatest healing opportunities is to begin to see the similarity. And I saw this so clear when I first set up. So scared to be myself, Mm. so not practiced in it individually because I watered down and suppressed and wasn't even connected to myself. Professionally, I was taught not to be an individual in in the room with my clients. And as I began Mm. to share more of my story, the gift not only for the, the community that was developing around the world was for them to see in bits and pieces, maybe not exactly what I experienced, though in bits and pieces of what my experience was, see themselves. And then like I said, I was healed by those comments section. I still spend so much time reading other people because it is in seeing the similarity that again was reflected internationally it didn't matter where you lived where your home was where you were from what language you spoke it was very much more similar than it was dissimilar so i do believe i think very much like you that there is so much healing in our own paths of healing which oftentimes are our own moments gifting ourselves with forgiveness and compassion and expanding that gift then outward to other people and again the the gift for humanity, I keep saying gift because I truly believe it is one is so large it's I think beyond even some of our individual comprehensions at this time.
0: I love that word so much i so my name is Nathan, and Nathan means gift the full my my full name is Nathan, but the full expression can be Nathaniel, which is the gift that God has given and so i I went by Nate for many years because I was trying to be cool, like I wanted people to and I was so insecure and there's a whole story there but Reclaiming Nathan has been a big part of the journey because I honor this gift that I am, and it's like I I, when you say gift, I feel what you're saying—the depths of how each of us is a gift to ourselves and then to the world. And yeah, may we all remember that more than ever, and yeah, now more than ever, may we all remember. So thank you, thank you so much again.
1: Of course, and thank you for owning. It's funny I didn't make a note because I think when we spoke last, I think you were still maybe going. By Nate and I almost I, the, first you the, scenes yeah, yeah. the first time we right? yep.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: First time, right? Yeah, I was like, I remember a Nate in there, but I saw yeah. you, know, you signed on as a Nathan, so I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with that now. Thank so, you,
0: thank, thank you, you, so you much. for
1: embracing yourself and your gifts. Seriously, again, it is, it is, it goes so beyond us as individuals. Ditto. Ditto.
0: But that's the point. I mean, we are an example of that. For for me in my life, you are an example of that. That how did I get connected with such an incredible human who's doing such good work in the world? I did it by being myself. That like it could never have happened if I was still running the old stories that I ran, you know, fifteen years ago, 10, 15 years ago. And so this is the proof, is that we have this interaction. Everything you say to me is a compliment. I'm just looking at you going, yes, you. <laughs> and so it, it's like, that's just so beautiful. I, I actually wanted to ask one more little question before the the kind of final closing question. but And this is actually related to the challenge of authenticity that because whether we're inauthentic or authentic, someone's going to be upset about it. And, and in fact, probably many someones. And that's just a reality. And I came across some some articles and some writing and some sharing and and even some Instagram pages. And it it really, sh- I felt shocked when I saw it I because it was basically saying, Dr. Nicole is a terrible, I don't know what, I don't, all the words, I don't even want to go there, but it was like horrible stuff. And they really had a lot of mean things to say. And I just, having had these conversations with you, having followed you since before really many people knew what you were doing out there in the world, I just, it was like a a very jarring experience because it was completely outside of anything that made sense to my reality. So I would, I would, if you're available to it, I know it's not necessarily a comfortable thing, but speaking to that kind of relational dynamic of as I, as you, as people step out more authentically into the world, there is more risk because then the the sort of judgment comes on our authentic selves. And I would just, yeah, I'd love to hear you speak to that.
1: Feeling, being, I should say not just feeling, being, and all the feelings that go along with being (laughs) misinterpreted, not liked, just having people have alternate opinions where sometimes they are misconstruing and taking pieces of my authentic perspective that I'm dedicated to sharing as I've been exploring here with you, is one of the greatest and continues though. I've learned how to navigate that a bit better and I'll go into it a bit more. But that that Mm -hmm. was one of my greatest fears which prevented me for decades from not sharing my opinion, my perspectives, Mm -hmm. my lived experience for so long, was what will people think? I don't want to upset, disappoint, hurt, or give them any reason to misinterpret right what it is that I'm saying. And it prevented me from speaking for a very long time. And in the beginning, I actually have embodied such a evolution in myself. There was a time, especially early on the first couple of years I was on Instagram when I would talk on podcasts as I started to get that opportunity, I would notice like a a sensor because I was very trained as well as a clinician to always be aware of what I was presenting, how I was saying things in the room, in the clinical room with my clients and almost like running the script through in my head before I would go to share it to make sure that I would share it in the most neutral way possible. So I was having that same sort of process happening in the beginning, and and I have I noticed that as a result, I, I wasn't maybe giving my full opinion on certain things, or I was dancing around certain topics, afraid of what people would would say or do with it. And in the beginning, as I started to see, you know, even doing that, trying to be everything for everyone, not say. Mm-hmm things that could be upsetting or be construed as like things I shouldn't be talking about as you know, the title that I am, it still was met with moments of misinterpretation, moments of upset, moments of disappointment where people think I shouldn't be saying those things or talking about whatever it is. Um, so working through all of that really helped me embrace the very wise truth that you're suggesting here, which is that there will be, we're all viewing the world. And as I continued my own healing journey of seeing all of the filters, right, that I viewed the world through that caused my own upset and misinterpretation, seeing that in my personal relationships, seeing that when things upset me online, right, we're all mm. filtering the world through our past experiences, through our own, you know, individual viewpoint, and really understanding not only that as a macro, but also again, the, the unique challenge that I think I pose to some communities. You know, I read I read all of it. As it came out, I was would read wow. it. I'd spend a lot of time trying to understand what are these people's perspectives? You know, like, can I pull out of what I think I'm saying and doing and how I'm yeah. being and try on for size? This other way that someone is experiencing me or my work or interpreting mm. it. I mean, because I think that's an important, helpful part, right, is to step out of our own perspective. And of course, yeah. doing so with those that we feel safe and secure with and known to, you know, not just taking... Anyone on the internet, though knowing and right. seeing myself becoming more public, I was like, okay, well, these people are saying that. Let me step out of myself and try it on for size. Though getting really grounded again, even just wrapping this entire conversation up and with my own self, right? And my own authenticity and having people in my personal life that were holding me accountable when I wasn't seeing my own, you know, blind spots in a way allowed mm-hmm. me then to try on for size. How people were interpreting my work, what they thought I was saying or doing, or what I thought I, they thought I shouldn't say or do, and getting more and more confident and grounded and secure in my own space, my intention, my meaning, sometimes even objectively what it is that I said, even though I'm seeing <laughs> right, something else entirely. Like, I mean, there's been right. points where I'm like, I have never once said the things like I've never once told anyone not to get therapy or take medication. I'm very, you know, intentional. Mm. It's to each our own. And I've actually saw myself be cited of saying the complete opposite in some context. So, right. Those moments I'm like, okay, I can be assured. Like I have, if you will, the receipts of my entire Instagram (laughs) presence where never once and in my books, right. Where I talk about other factors that contribute to our own trauma and intergenerational trauma. Like I have it visually. So, I got more and more grounded in that. Though, something Mm. that I do want to piece in here, because it's absolutely as you get authentic and clear and begin to speak, even if it's in your own, you know, community circles or publicly as we're doing, there will Mm. be people who are misinterpreting, right? Who are kind of filtering. And while, again, such a large part of my journey, like I've been sharing, is tolerating that, tolerating how I feel when I've upset someone, when they've just downright. Said something I said that I didn't say. Now they're upset about it. And because I've learned yeah. that they're oftentimes, again, going back to even this conversation piece, if they're not open to hearing, there's nothing you can formulate in just the perfect way to get them to see that you didn't actually say that thing, right? Because they're in yeah. their own emotional reaction at that time. So I've learned that mm. too. So I've learned how to tolerate how I feel and give others and sometimes communities of others. The space to feel as they do with whatever interpretation they're seeing and hearing and making of my work. And then, because I spent a lot of time, like I said, I've read it all, it's my responsibility to be really aware of how much I'm giving time, attention, and engagement to it. Because what I noticed when I'm dysregulated, when I'm stressed, when I'm not taking care of my physical and my emotional self, at least historically, I would find myself in my own version of doom scrolling. I'd go seek mm-hmm. out, well, what's that page again? And what are they saying now? Oh, uh, wow. Because my body was so dysregulated and upset, right? And I I knew it was there and I would match, right? Well, okay, I'm feeling upset. So I wouldn't look for something <laughs> motivating. I wouldn't even wow. go to my beautiful community that at the same time Nathan <laughs> is celebrating, all of the empowerment and the beautiful transformation. I'd almost delete that (laughs) because I was so dysregulated in myself that I would go on my own version of doom scrolling and I'd do my little rounds of all of the dissenters, as I call them, and almost upset myself more. So the shift I've now seen is not only is that censoring voice, I'm in so much more of a flow state now when I speak because I'm no longer worrying as much about You know, outside of trying to be a kind, compassionate person, and I do believe I'm able to deliver most of my messages in a very kind, compassionate way. I'm not necessarily worrying about what people are going to say or do because I assume they will. I've created space and allowing. I'm not going to invalidate anyone's truth if that's what they believe me to be for whatever reason. Then that's who I am for them. There's nothing I'm going to say or do. I'm going to hope that continuing to live in alignment will send out different energy, might shift over time. And I've had people who've actually come back from. You know those perceptions and who have i've seen messages by that were like wow that that, you know thank you for continuing to be you know who you are because i now see you in the work much more differently and i continue to take responsibility for myself so now i spend far less if ever will you find me doom scrolling anymore i do something else (laughs) with my agitated energy when i'm upset (laughs) which is not going online to validate that i'm this terrible horrible (laughs) person that people think i am But I just wanted to add that part in because I think that there is a responsibility (laughs) that many of us can take because when we're Mm. upset inside, it's so easy to try and find or even find our way back to relationships that validate that upset, Mm. that unworthiness, that despicable person or whatever it is. We can see that reflection back and that's where we can empower ourselves to say, okay, that's Mm. there and you have a right to feel that way for whatever reason and i'm going to intentionally choose to put my energy and my time and my you know kind of headspace somewhere else.
0: I love that you told that story because it, it just it's such a i mean it's intense and i imagine it feels intense at the moment but it's it's also such a funny thing that we do as humans. It reminds me of uh, Ramdas. He said i don't know the exact quote but something like if we're driving through a town and we're hungry we'll notice all the restaurants. If we're driving through a town and we need gas, we'll notice all the gas stations. If we're tired, we'll notice all the, the hostels, or the hotels. And so it's this basically what we, pe- people could ask, you know, what do you see in the world? And I would say, well, what I'm looking at, like wh- what I'm, that that's what I see. And so... So really what I hear from you, and it's just, I'm i am so glad it's such a human thing. And you've actually given me more insight into some of the behaviors about myself. I'm like, why do I sometimes do that when I just seek out like really nasty, like I'll go and watch like 20 minutes of movie trailers on YouTube, like just trailer after trailer. I'm like, why am I doing this? It's utterly pointless. But I realize its it's kind of it's helping me to stay in the pattern of whatever that agitation is that feels most resonant with where I am in that moment. So, I mean, that is such a beautiful invitation to anyone listening of like, notice the what's behind the pattern. What is the pattern that you're playing out saying about your state in this moment? I mean, that's just a beautiful awareness to bring to something. So thank you for that. Wow.
1: I keep repeating your your quote, was it, what do I see whatever I'm looking at? That was just, my whole body lit up when you <laughs> said that. That is just so much truth and beauty in that statement and wisdom.
0: Thank you, Nicole. Well, I know we're reaching close to time here, so I want to I really honor that. And the final question, which you've now answered already once before, and I'm curious to hear how it lands for you now, but when you hear the words, we are already free, what comes up?
1: What comes up is the physiological reality of the freedom that I believe lives in the heart's essence and the energy and the spirit and the soul and the uniqueness of each of our beings. I think we come packaged from the moment of birth. Of course, people have events that happen, you know, kind of in utero, though our pure essence is is one of freedom, of connection with ourself, of self-expression, purpose of passion, of creativity, of imagination, and that doesn't go away, even for the many of you listening who might like me at that one time that I was sharing. Don't you know, have those components or resonate with those aspects of your being now. Again, that is a byproduct, not of who you are at your core. You are already free. The freedom is in your heart, the endless energy of compassion and love that lives there in each of us. And the reason we feel not free, again, is such a, a byproduct of our conditioning it can absolutely be unlearned, rewired, again, whether any of the work that you meet, whether it's on social media or any of the books, that is not only work of empowerment, my hope, but work of actually this kind of neurological, mind-body, physiological rewiring that we are all capable of. Your body is so powerful. And so for even those of us that are feeling so stuck, again, just to apply to this conversation about relationships, so stuck and sometimes generational habits of dysfunction that have just been passed on to us. The freedom is there beneath all of it, again, in your hearts.
0: Well, now I feel all lit up. So thank you so much, Nicole, for all that you are, for your authenticity, for doing this beautiful work and and teaching so many of us how to do it as well. And I said this in the, in the last conversation we had about your previous book around, it's just so amazing. Th- that you bring together these incredibly diverse and oftentimes overwhelming and complex or feel seemingly complex ideas and sciences and practices and tools and, and just bring it into these books that are actual toolkits for transformation that someone can just buy and, and follow along. So again, from, for me personally, and I'm sure for many who are listening now, thank you so much. And yeah, just such an honor to have you here and we are already free and to, to know you in the world. What a blessing. Thank you.
1: Thank. Such an honor, of course, Nathan. I mean, you literally saw me and my work so many years ago now. It feels like that was never lost on me. I'm always going to be here to have many more hopeful conversations into the future <laughs> with you. It's so meaningful, everyone is, who's been there from the beginning. And of course, you've joined now what I really truly believe is a movement along the way of empowered individuals mm-hmm. who are intentionally creating their lives in a new way, though I'm particularly you know, very grateful for people like yourself who so early on saw what it was that I was seeing or doing what it was uh, that I was doing. You've been such an integral part of my own journey to, to, again, feel less alone, feel more grounded in action now in what it is that I, I'm doing. And of course, I extend that gratitude to all of you listening, whether you've heard of my work before or just now meeting my work. I truly believe in the power of all of us that are continuing these conversations and continuing this work in our communities. So thank you all for your service.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank Mm -hmm. you, everybody. What a blessing. Thanks again, Nicole. Thank you again to dear Dr. Nicole for your presence on the We Are Already Free podcast. Your beingness fills me with hope, joy, and gratitude. Of course, dear listener, in this conversation, we barely scratched the surface on how to be the love you seek. So to get the tools, strategies, and guidance you need to have more fulfilling relationships... Find links to Nicole's book, Holistic Psychologist Instagram page and more in your podcast app show notes or directly at alreadyfree.me. You beautiful being, whoever you are out there, I'm imagining you right now, maybe driving in your car with a smile on your face or you're in your kitchen washing the dishes or you're on a walk or you're jogging or maybe you're lying on your couch or you're on the back porch or who knows where you are, but you are somewhere in this world in this moment having this experience of hearing this podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of this. This has been episode number five, zero, number 50. I wasn't sure we were going to get here at times. I really thought that I was going to fail. And and this is a big conversation, which maybe is outside of the scope of this. But seeing as you're still listening, I'll give you a little insight. I am an enthusiast. It's part of my makeup. I get very excited about things. I get passionate. And the things that I'm passionate about, I'm very skilled at communicating and getting other people excited about and all those wonderful things. The challenge there is when the excitement fades or when it gets hard or when I haven't achieved what I thought I was meant to achieve by a certain time. I have had a tendency in the past and and as part of my makeup is that I'll go, well, I guess this isn't meant to be and I'll leave. I'll stop doing the thing, whatever that is. And this podcast that nearly happened a few months ago, things were kind of plateauing i've been struggling to work out how do i really make this a sustainable part of my business because i love doing it obviously if you listen to this then you know how much i love doing it and it also needs to be a part of a sustainable business model that it brings in income it brings in clients it brings in cool people who i can work with and and be supported by and support them and all those wonderful things and i was feeling plateaued and so i reached this point of like do i shut the podcast down first option or do i even go deeper, recommit, reinvest. And that's what I chose to do. I chose to invest in an incredible year-long podcast coaching program that I'm now working on. And you'll hear some of the changes around that. I've started offering a free access to my five-day morning practice challenge. And you're going to hear the little outro ad for that in a moment, which I'm really proud of. I'm excited. And I, I feel like it speaks to some of the real challenges that some of us face in the world, et cetera, et cetera. But the feeling I've had, interestingly enough, and maybe this is something you can relate to when you've been reaching those points of inflection where it's like do i keep going do i change my job do i go deeper do i what is the thing that i need to do right now do i go deeper into this relationship do i leave the relationship do i move to a new place do i stay here etc what i found in this case is that by recommitting to this thing also knowing that this podcast is fully aligned with my life purpose like i know that because i've done the work to get clear on my purpose and all that stuff so I don't have that doubt anymore, which really has helped me a lot. But I still have the moments of like, oh, my gosh, this isn't happening in the way it's meant to. And am I wasting my time, etc., etc.? But saying all of that, I chose to reinvest. And by doing so, what's happened is that I've actually rediscovered that enthusiasm. I feel again the deep excitement and the passion and the joy. So I wonder how many times in my life when I just thought it was like, oh, well, this isn't working anymore, so I quit. If I had in fact doubled down and turned in and gone deeper and reinvested in whatever that relationship, job, place, whatever, what that was, what could I have found there? I've also found that in my relationship with my partner, Kali, we've been together nearly eight years now. We're getting married, by the way. Yay. Um, but I found that in that process, every time we go through something difficult and I recommit in myself, to myself and to her and stay and go deeper that i get more out of it i get the enthusiasm it it reignites that beautiful passion and it actually expands it which is i know what we've been talking about in this episode how cool is that so um yeah just wanted to share that with you and thank you without you this wouldn't be happening you are listening to this podcast it happens because you are here you are amazing i appreciate the fuck out of you so thank you i would love to to hear any thoughts you feel to share as always Uh, You can get in touch via my usual channels. Go to uh, alreadyfree.me and you'll find all the ways to reach out to me there. And that is all. I'm going to take us over to the the ad now for the Morning Practice Challenge. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. I think it's super cool. So I think you should listen to that. Um, But until next time, I wish you blessings. And yeah, can't wait. Thank you for being here on episode 5-0. Super cool. If you get that awkward, oh dang, that's me feeling in the pit of your stomach when you realize that your deepest morning relationship is with the selfish partner known only as your phone, and if you're tired of feeling disconnected from your own authentic needs and the people around you, then I have a precious gift for you. The struggle to break free from the morning scroll can leave you feeling disempowered, affecting not just your mornings, but your overall well-being and relationships. Imagine how your life would change if you prioritized a more meaningful relationship with yourself and in turn with others, starting from the moment you wake up each day. Presenting my free 5-day morning practice challenge, And I know, I know, you probably already know how amazing a morning practice is, and you also know that it's hard to establish and it's hard to maintain, or maybe you've never even tried because of those limitations. That's why this challenge is designed to fit you, your unique needs, your time availability. And by the end of the five days, you'll be left with a customized, impactful, and useful morning practice designed for you that takes only a few minutes a day to complete. And remember, it is completely free. By participating in this challenge, you'll receive daily practices and tools to cultivate self-love and nurture deeper connections with yourself and therefore those around you. It's a journey of self-discovery and empowerment that only takes a few minutes a day, yet its impact extends far beyond the morning hours. So if you're ready to break free from the cycle of disconnection and phone scrolling and instead start your day with intention and positivity, join me in this transformative challenge. Visit alreadyfree.me yes, or check your show notes to take the first step towards a better relationship with yourself and those you care about. Begin your morning practice now. I'll see you next week. And please remember, we are already free.